Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, August 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... We are undermining our ability to start school and to keep businesses open because we want to have dinner with our friends who are in from out of town. After a month of only targeting specific counties, the governor issues a statewide mask mandate. Then, with more than 40 districts set to start classes this week, state officials set guidelines for schools. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, how an all-woman research lab is helping understand COVID-19. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is now under a statewide mask mandate, and all residents are required to wear masks when in public for the next two weeks. Governor Tate Reeves issued a statewide mask mandate yesterday following weeks of targeted county orders. Reeves says he believes that approach was effective, paving the way for the statewide order. I have taken a piecemeal approach. I've been criticized by it by an awful lot of people. But I've taken a piecemeal approach because I believe firmly that that was the best way to get the most number of people to participate. Admittedly, it took a few days, maybe even a week. But if you travel around in those 37 counties that currently have mask mandates, participation is far greater today than at any time during 2020. Our people, by and large, are rule followers. Our people almost exclusively have very big hearts. Nobody wants to get the virus and give it to their mom or grandmom and see them suffer in a hospital and perhaps even for the rest of their life. Everything that we have done has been about getting the most possible cooperation from the people of this great state. And I believe that there is enough motivation to safely get our kids in school that we can really juice participation of mask wearing throughout our state for the next two weeks. 
The mandate comes as the state puts its worst month of the coronavirus pandemic in its rearview mirror. Cases of COVID-19 more than doubled in July and hospitalizations and ICU utilization rose to its highest levels. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the best way to mitigate transmission of the virus is for everyone to chill out. If we can all just chill out for about two or three weeks, consistent with the mask mandate, and just not go to a party. Don't go to a shower. Send your regrets to the wedding. I mean, we, 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 every, a lot of these cases that we're seeing are linked to social events. We are undermining our ability to start school and to keep businesses open because we want to have dinner with our friends who are in from out of town. We're seeing this over and over and over again. So please, just for a few weeks especially, let's just relax and not do unnecessary social events and not spread coronavirus, especially our young kids. And if you're a teenager, let's just chill out for a couple weeks, almost a soft quarantine before school starts if we can, so that we know that our kids are least likely to go into the school with coronavirus. Dr. Dobbs also ordered those who test positive for the coronavirus quarantine for two weeks or risk a fine of $500, jail time, or both. Governor Reeves says there have been positive results from the previous targeted mask mandates, but he reminds residents it could take a while to see the results of such measures. But if we could just for the next couple of weeks allow for those individuals that we know are confirmed positives if we can just allow for them to self-isolate and the rest of us can just only do what we have to do to go to work, to go to school if that's what your school chooses, and only do that, stay away from large social gatherings, we would have a significant impact on reducing and slowing the spread of this virus. The 37 counties where we've had a mass mandate, where people have been participating, We're seeing a slowing of the spread. It's not slowing as fast as we would like it to slow, but it is slowing. And that's the challenge with this virus, is the things that we do today, we will see the benefit from them two weeks from now. Maybe even three to four weeks from now when it comes to the hospital system. Because as you've heard me say, there are multiple iterations of what transpires once one individual catches the virus. If you have questions or concerns about the coronavirus, tune in to MPB TV, Think Radio, or online tonight for a special at issue. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs will be answering your questions live starting at 7 p.m. To submit your questions, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, with more than 40 districts set to start classes this week, state officials set guidelines for schools. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And of course, All of MPB's other great podcasts are there, too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. 
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi students and teachers are preparing to return to school at a time when the state's experiencing the nation's highest test positive rate and a growing number of cases per capita. State Health Officer Thomas Dobbs says these indicators suggest a delay in school starts. If we look at um, what the recommendations are for when it's safe to start, you know, we're not really there as far as like a percent positivity and all those sorts, those sorts of measures. It's especially important um, that we consider delaying school for older kids, the uh, middle schoolers and the high schoolers, because we know they're just as likely to transmit it as, 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 younger, as young adults. Also, we know how, good they, how well they do it, right? So, but the younger kids also are more likely to benefit specifically for from in-person learning so part of it is a is a risk adjustment that we have to look at um if if we can safely delay for a few weeks for an entire school district uh, there's a that makes a lot of sense as mississippi closes in on leading the nation in coronavirus cases per capita the governor announces he's ordering schools in eight counties to delay reopening governor tate reeves issued an executive order requiring students in seventh through twelfth grades in eight counties he calls hot spots to delay opening until at least monday august 17th the counties are bolivar Cahoma, forest hines george panola sunflower and washington Reeves says a majority of school districts do not plan to begin classes until next week or later. He points to this uh, fact as part of his reasoning to only issue targeted delays. What what we see is uh, roughly two-thirds of our school districts do not plan to start prior to next week um, under the plans as they currently exist. Uh, Within those two-thirds of school districts that plan to start next week or later, uh, which is eight to nine days from now or later, uh, many of them, uh, even though their school year is starting next week, that doesn't mean that they're starting with full classes that are um, going to be there next week. If I were running a school district um, and I were going and I had the ability uh, to not open schools until August the 17th, which is what I have done on these with the very high Uh, case counts, particularly if I'm in one of those 37 counties that already had a mask mandate um, in place, because clearly that's where the transmission is the, um, uh, at least for the last six weeks has been the highest, Um, I would try to delay in-person schools until August the 17th. Um, Having said that, um, I believe that there is no doubt that uh, pre-kindergarten through sixth grade can attend school starting tomorrow um, in in a safe way. The eyes of the state's education community have been trained in the northeast city of Corinth, where on-campus learning began last week. Since then, six positive cases of COVID-19 have been reported. Dobbs says those cases reveal the conditions of virus in the community and the difficulty in returning to school. You know, that's a great point because it's it reflects the community, not the school. These are kids who walked into the school with coronavirus and that they were able to find it quickly and quarantine those kids is is great. Now, it's going to be tough. That's why it's such a challenge to start school right now, because if you're having to quarantine such a big segment of your school, it's going to be hard to educate. So we're learning as we go through this, and that's one of the reasons why it makes a lot of sense to delay school um, and do virtual now for, for those um, who can make that happen, because it's going to be a challenge. Even if you do everything perfect, you're going to have to – impact your operations for that reason and and others because there will be some transmission inevitably. 
Dobbs does say lessons can be learned by watching the response to the cases in Corinth because similar incidents can be expected in other school communities. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to work with them and learn for future exposures because without a doubt, we're going to have every day, every school that opens is going to have some child, some teenager with coronavirus walking through the door. Just based on the the law of averages, we're going to see that. Um, We've been working closely with colleges. Colleges um, have an entirely different scenario. Uh, We are not recommending at this time that they delay opening. We have other recommendations for them. Uh, Most of their risk is going to be off outside of the classroom. It's going to be in the bars. It's going to be in the social events where we see them spreading coronavirus. So we're working very closely with them, and we'll try to do everything we can to minimize transmission on the college campuses. Governor Reeves is also mandating masks in all schools to be worn by adults and students alike. Rachel Cantor is the executive director of Mississippi First. She tells our Michael Guidry she recognizes the need for the governor's decisions. I think the governor is absolutely justified in requiring everyone who's going to be in a school building to wear a mask unless they have some sort of medical condition. There really is no justification for adults not to wear masks based on everything we know about transmission, about ways to prevent transmission, and about the risks to adults. As for children, we know that older children are still at great risk of transmitting and receiving the virus. And that they, too, if they're going to be in close proximity to each other or even just in a space, indoor space, six feet apart, breathing the same air, they need to be wearing masks as well. I think that the the governor, in making it apply all the way down to kindergartners, I think that that is a reasonable thing to ask. We know that for young children, they're going to want to play with their masks. They're going to want to. Um, take them off at some point. And yes, that's going to add an extra hardship on teachers to manage. But the more we can get young children to wear masks, the safer everyone is going to be. The other thing that the governor did was issue a mandatory delay in um, eight specific counties. Do you think that targeting eight counties uh, is is a viable option when we've seen evidence of of high school spread in uh, in Corinth High School, or would you uh, are you satisfied with a targeted approach, or would you like to see that measure taken further? I think that it's, you know, a really difficult decision for the governor to have to make whether or not to mandate that schools go virtually. I do think that in the counties that he selected, there's every reason to delay school or at least delay in-person school, whether that's delaying start dates or requiring that schools start virtually. I think that over time, we might see that delaying school or going virtual school needs to be far more widespread. Rachel Cantor is the executive director of Mississippi First. Thank you so much for your insight, Rachel. Thank you. The Mississippi Association of Educators issued a statement via Facebook in response to the governor's limited mandate. It says, in part, the governor's plan in its current form is reckless and irresponsible. It ignores the advice of the state's top medical officials and is putting students and educators and their families at risk. 
Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, how an all-woman research lab is helping understand COVID-19. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I've had some problems. It's with athlete's foot, and I've not taken any oral medications with it. I just manage it in the summertime using antifungal creams. I've used some tea tree oil and uh, a cream that my husband uses, ketoconazole cream. Particularly here in the South, athlete's foot is certainly very prevalent. A lot of people have that. The reason it, it's sort of seasonal, it has to do with the humidity and moisture. It's caused by a fungus. It's very common. I've had this myself. The other misconception is that, you know, this is something that is a hygiene problem. It's certainly not. Paula, you mentioned a couple of the more common things over-the-counter uh, Lotrimin cream, things that have clotrimazole, those are antifungal medications that can help decrease that fungal infection in the skin. The ketoconazole is another antifungal medication, very effective topically. There's a number of fungi that can cause this. You can actually go to the dermatologist and they can take some skin scrapings uh, of your feet and, and culture out what that fungus is and get a little bit more specific. Uh, the biggest things are prevention and trying to decrease the moisture content. You know, if you could uh, not wear socks or shoes for a while, that certainly would help out to dry out that skin because a drier environment is not going to be one that fungi like. So they're not going to grow as much in that. And then other things is making sure that you towel off your toes and in between your toes after you take a shower or a bath, that's extremely important, getting that skin dried off before you put your shoes on. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Scientific research is not widely recognized as a woman's game. Only 30% of the world's science researchers are women, while in the U.S. the figure is only 28% for those in science and engineering, two of the four pieces that add up to the education curriculum known as STEM. But in a lab at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, the percentage is 106 out of six, including three women who are African-American, another rarity. Dr. Tanya Robinson, Jackson native and assistant professor of digestive diseases, manages the lab which specializes in digestive diseases. She shares how bringing diversity to the lab helps shape the research philosophy in a state with an underserved population. I wanted to come back um, because this is where my mom and dad and sister and brother are. Um, also, I wanted to come back and contribute, you know, what I learned out of state. So I, I got my bachelor's and master's from Jackson State here in Jackson, Mississippi. But then I got my Ph.D. at UAB in Birmingham. 
And then I did a postdoc for two years at MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. But the training that I got um, in at UAB and MD Anderson, I always wanted to come back and contribute to my own state in his role as a um, researcher. As an African-American, can you relate to or, or can you tell us when you were growing up or even as an adult, is it difficult for an African-American to be treated by an African-American doctor? Yes, because growing up, um, all of my doctors were Caucasian. Um, I've never had an African-American doctor growing up. Now, I did have an African-American doctor in Dallas when I went to Dallas for um, a summer, and I had an African-American doctor um, in, I think it was Houston. But um, growing up, no, I did not have an African-American doctor, and I think it's very important because um, a doctor that I saw in Houston uh, she was African-American, but she could talk to me and relate to me. Caucasian doctors can also, but there's a certain difference when you talk to another African-American doctor. That they, there's a, I don't know, it's connection. And you, I just never had that growing up in, in Mississippi. So it's very important, I think, to have African-American doctors. And are you more likely to be able to influence other African-Americans to participate in the clinical trial, perhaps? Yes, I think so, because seeing another African-American that's involved in a clinical trial, maybe that could ease some of their fears. There could be a different type of connection. If Dr. Glover says she's had, you know, a, a very good connection talking to the African-American patients in the COVID study, but also if they could see another African-American, that could ease some of the other participants that might have some worries or fears about a clinical trial when they see, you know, me and maybe could talk to me about some of their fears and worries. What are your hopes or what are your goals moving forward? Well, I hope to, so Dr. Glover is like a mentor to me. So she is helping guide me like in getting more publications, learning how to write grants. And so she's giving me all this experience that I need as an early investigator that can help me in my future career. So I'm not, I'm an um, assistant professor, but I like to eventually move up and become an associate professor. So the experience that I'm gaining under her mentorship is invaluable. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Dr. Tanya Robinson, who is the manager of the research lab and an assistant professor of digestive diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Dr. Sarah Glover is the principal investigator for the lab. She explains how this diverse group's research is being used to help understand COVID-19. We are currently working on a COVID project. And the reason we started working on the COVID project is because, because we do innate immunity um, it became increasingly apparent that COVID has a pretty profound impact on the innate immune system. Um, and I had a couple of collaborators that um, had been interested in viruses and um, how the nasopharynx and the gut immune system process different viruses. And so when, when COVID really became uh, a pr presence in the U.S., we thought perhaps that we should, you know, um, lend some of our efforts to this project. Now, I do want to talk to you about the fact that your lab is all women, which is Correct. pretty rare in this whole country, let alone Mississippi. Yes. Also, a diverse 
staff, as I understand. Can you tell us that about correct. those who are working, the researchers? Yeah. So um, when I came to University of Mississippi, I, I left the University of Florida, and I knew as the division chief um, that's also a physician scientist that I was going to have to wear a lot of hats. And so I intentionally um, sought out somebody who was, you know, early career, who could be a faculty member, but who could who would also be willing to work with me and run my lab. And so Tanya Robinson was that pers- person. Um, she came in and set up my lab, and she is a Mississippi native, so she has a lot of perspective on, you know, the University of Mississippi and on the state in general. I attribute the, the diversity in the lab to her, which is because, you know, she's attracted um, young women, particularly young African-American women who want to do science, which is super cool. Um, and so she gets really gets the credit for this. I can't take the credit. Um, and then I don't know how it happened, but we just had a lot of women that were interested in working with us and interested in our project, and we kind of meshed together. I mean, I think that has been the story of the lab and the story of our COVID project is really team science that we just, there. you know, sometimes unlikely people get together to do really cool things. And that, that has been something that has happened in my lab. So I'm truly, like a year ago, it was just me and Tanya, and here we are having this, you know, doing this pretty amazing stuff. Dr. Sarah Glover is the Research Lab's Principal Investigator and a Professor and Chief of Division of Digestive Diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thank you, Dr. Glover. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.